This is Golf Talk Canada, Canada's only national golf talk radio and TV program, presented by TaylorMade. Experience the drives every golfer wants to hit and no golfer wants to follow with the all-new Sim 2 driver, only from TaylorMade. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. Well, good morning, Canada. Hello, Toronto. Zacchino in studio. Weeks in studio. Bob, I, it's, I can see you in real person. Well, we don't have to just uh, put our <laughs> microphone on mute. Unbelievable to get back in studio. I'm exhausted. I uh, spent the entire night streaking up Young Street. <laughs> and uh, I was the only one, Bob. I, usually I was thinking it might be like a Leaf or Raptor or Jay's Parade of some kind here in Toronto. Yeah, mostly I think the golf people were, uh, were sipping wine like there, Phil. They were sipping wine like Phil, yeah. I, was, I felt like Will Ferrell in uh, old school. <laughs> we're streaking! Who's we? Who is we? Wow, 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 wow. Good morning. Welcome to Golf Talk Canada, where you're listening on uh, TSN 1050, iHeartRadio, tsn.ca, or watching us this morning on TSN 2. Zakino Weeks, Adam Scully in the house as well. Scully will be by uh, later on in the show. Uh, Bob, I mean, it, listen, I, I don't know where to put this, but I instantly thought Nicholas 86, Tiger 19, now Mickelson 21. It felt like that. The scene, uh, the history, the oldest player to ever uh, win a major championship. Um, I just, you know, we've all written them off. You know, you and I are taking a beating on Twitter because, you know, we didn't pick them this week. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we, Imagine. <laughs> you know, we, we suggested that accepting an invitation at Torrey Pines in a few weeks was for ceremonial capacity. Yeah. Give the queen wave. Right, right. We took a beating for that. But I mean, I, it was it was it was amazing theater. Yeah, it really was. And it's um it's still sort of for me sort of hard to wrap everything around it. Like where does this, you know, first of all, it's a great moment. It's great for Phil. It was great drama. It was exciting down the stretch. He made it just nervous enough in the last couple of holes where there was a chance of a, you know, bogey birdie uh change in the two holes and and everything worked perfectly. I mean, Brooks didn't play all that great. Louis didn't play all that great. Anyone else who was sort of charging faded back. And Phil played very unphil-like golf. You know, he just was very, uh, very steady, um, very committed. We were talking just before we went on air about how calm he looked. He was just sort of very um, in control of his movements. He wasn't running. He wasn't fast. He wasn't hitting a shot before he was ready for it. And now you sort of wrap everything around it and, and you sort of say, where does this fit? Where does it belong in, in our ranking of great things? And maybe we'll get to that by the end of today's two-hour show. Maybe we'll, we'll put a grasp and figure it out because there's a lot of things running through my mind right now. I, where, where does this stand historically against 86, 19, etc.? Where does this put Phil now historically? Is running through my head. You know, does this a lot through the broadcast yesterday? You heard a lot about how this changes his legacy, and I mean, does it change his legacy? How much has it elevated his legacy? It's hard to say, Bob. Like it's hard to say. If you like, I I was looking at the, that that part of this, and I'm looking at obviously Bobby Jones and Harry Varden as kind of the outliers in the sense that. They're before the PGA Tour time, really, 
right? Like they they come from an era before the modern day tour as we know it um, existed. So if I remove old Tom Morris, old Tom Morris Jr., Bobby Jones, Harry Varner, if I remove anything that happened... Pre- I think old Tom Morris Jr. is known as young Tom Morris. Young Tom Morris, yeah. thank you, sorry. <laughs> if I remove them from the equation and I, and I look at golf as the start of the tour and the birth of the Masters and things like that, is Phil Mickelson now in the top 10 golfers in the history of this game? From, like, the start of the Masters on? Yeah. Uh, you could probably make a pretty good case for that. I think uh, he might have been there before, but... Yeah, and, then, you know, and I know a lot of people did put him there. Sure, you know, you this know, cemented. At, I mean, guys like Gene Sarazen, he sort of was on overlap that mm-hmm. stretch of it. Um, you know, and, and I still think that you give guys like Bobby Jones and... and uh, Harry Varden and, uh, you know, all those guys. I think you give them their credit because they were the best at their time. Phil is now proving to be one of the best at his time. Those those are hard. Those are the ones where your apples and oranges comparing yes. eras together. It's yeah. very difficult in any sport. But I, I think, yeah, I think you can make the case that Phil's in the top ten. I think I said last night I think this moment is probably one of the top five or six moments in golf um, in, in recent times for sure. There's not. I was trying to think of what's what's bigger than than this, or what's as big as this last night. And you know, as you said, you just pointed out the obvious ones with Tiger. And I mean, I think Tiger in '97 is in there as well. Mm-hmm. So there's some different kind of moment, though, right? Don't you think in '97, oh, yeah. more like of a coming out party? I'm changing the world moment. That was that was a changing of the world, changing of one man announcing he's coming in and changing the game, probably forever, right. in the way he did that. But I think there's so many ways to look at this, and I'm sure, as you said, we'll we'll do that over the course of this show ad nauseum. We are going to talk this to death. Uh, you know, I've never been shy that I'm a huge <laughs> Phil Mickelson fan, and it's it's also they say never meet your uh, never meet your idols or never meet your uh, sports heroes because you tend to get disappointed, right? And my interactions with Phil have always been nothing but exceptionally positive. Now, you know you know what it's like, Bob. You ask Phil Mickelson one question, he gives you 12 minutes of great air, right? And that's part of it, I guess, from our side of the mic or desk, etc. Um, we will chew this down over two hours. We're going to have Will Haskett join the program uh, at uh, 10.30 this morning. Will is my colleague from PGA Tour Radio, but actually worked uh, early round coverage for ESPN and featured groups this week uh, from the Ocean Course of Kew Island. And I think Will, Will might be able to give us a really good insight as to what that was like on the ground in terms of how this golf course played. A lot of people want to throw around the term now, American Lynx. You know, it, it, I think with the exception of flipping wind and the ocean to, to, to your adjacent to your east, there wasn't much Lynx uh, <laughs> golf going on there. But we'll get, we'll get that take from Will. We'll do uh, Mr. Butcher gift card giveaway uh, at the bottom of uh, the hour. $100 gift card for Mr. Butcher. On the other side, Adam Scully will come in. We'll get you updated on 20 Weeks TaylorMade, Winners Weird and What. We'll talk notables. We'll talk uh, some shocking names that missed the cut. But hour one's going to be a lot of fill. Let's kick it off with News and Headlines. News and Headlines are brought to you by Sandbagger Hard Seltzer. Sandbagger. Everybody knows one. All right. Sandbagger Nell and the LCBO. Check them out and check them out now that we're playing golf in Ontario, Bob. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I can't believe how that story just went away. I I got, know, I know. I Phil know. Mickelson wins. We totally forget about that. Congratulations <laughs> to all the hard work uh, for We Are Golf and all the partners and everyone who pushed to get golf open and not just golf, tennis, all the outdoor activities that were uh, you know deemed safe or safer. 
uh, well done, and I'm glad everybody's outside uh, getting ready to enjoy their summer. Um, I brought the big one today by accident. Oh, did you? Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't wear the over-the-top ones because it ruins my hair. Yeah. Right. So that's why I'm dealing with the ear bun. Uh, okay, Phil Mickelson. Uh, what surprised you the most, Bob? Because for me, what surprised me the most was his demeanor. You suggested it there, how calm he was. I mean, even his post-round, he was like so level. He he suggested that he had an, a breakthrough recently when it came to just concentration. And he has been open in the media over the last several weeks how um, he had a hard time concentrating for 18 holes. His mind was wandering, all this stuff going on. And, and I was sitting here just wondering, is this just you know getting older and, and not being able to stay here? You know, Physically speaking, on the 16th hole, he had to drive a 366 yards. It was the longest drive of the entire day, three yards longer than Bryson DeChambeau. So physically speaking, this is a very, very, very young 50-year-old uh, player, right? Well, I think, and I've said this a million times, but I'll say it again. I think the... Th- Three things that stand out to me about Phil are, you know, when you get older, the two things you lose are, you, generally speaking, your length off the tee and, generally speaking, your touch around the greens. Phil has never lost either of those. In fact, he's longer now than he's ever been. Yeah. And I would say his short game, it can be hot and cold, but certainly it was brilliant over the four days that we just witnessed. So that's, that's not by accident. And then the other thing that, that I've always noticed about Phil is, He's never had a serious injury. He's never been off the tour with an aching back or a bad knee or a shoulder. You know, it's an amazing because he really, up until about three or four years ago, was not a gym guy. He was not a guy who would work out physically or strengthen his body. I mean, you know, for a lot of his career, his bag, his body looked like a bag of milk. Yeah. You know, he was a roly-poly, soft kind of guy. And, and you wonder with that big, long swing, why he never got injured. So those three things sort of set him apart, I think, from a lot of people. But... He's also never been afraid to try different things or look for new answers or look for different ways. Uh, some of them haven't worked. Remember the old two-driver system or the, the Franken-driver? Well, he did win a Masters, though, with two drivers, He right? did, the Franken-driver. And yeah, the, the Franken-driver. You know, all sorts of different equipment things that he's tried and, and, and toyed with. Um, it's gone on and on. You can go down the road a, a thousand. You know, he played the U.S. Open with two drivers. He played the U.S. Open with no driver. No driver. Remember that? We're going back to the venue where he played with no driver. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's the other thing to me that sets him apart is that he's not afraid to do it. And the one thing that you just pointed out was this focus thing where he said now what he's been doing to try and keep his mind engaged is he cuts off from social media, takes takes for, for long extended periods because he found that was a distraction. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is he tries to treat his brain like a muscle. So he'll go out and play 36 or even 45 holes in a day, try to concentrate on every single shot. So when he only has to play 18, it'll seem easy. It's kind of like the old running thing. When you go and run 20 miles, then the two-mile run seems pretty easy. Right. Well, it makes sense. When you lay it out like that, it makes a ton of sense. I think, you know, I've said this time and time again, Bob, and I'll keep saying it. Never a major swing change. He never tried to put his body into a position that felt unnatural to him. Did he tweak or did they, you know, work on things over the years? Andrew Getson, Butch Harmon, um, Rick Smith. Yeah, but it's Phil Swing. You look at Phil Swing from 91 to today, it is almost exactly the same golf swing. It is still his golf swing. I think that is huge for longevity. Sam Snead, Vijay Singh, Fred Couples, they all have this in common with Phil. When you get to the workout part of Phil's life, yes, now he's a gym guy. 
It's a different kind of gym. He talked about it last night. He used the term TPI in his post-round uh, conference. He wasn't training like a Navy SEAL. No. He wasn't bench right. pressing 500 pounds or, or lifting. Uh, he was training specific to golf. Smarter. A lot of it was diet, i.e. Tom Brady. What I put in my body to control my uh, arthritis, which he almost said he forgets he even has now because of his fasting regimen and what he what he takes in his body. So, I mean, when you when you take a look at it like this, Bob, never made a swing change, uh, worked golf-specific exercises. Why all these guys have this in common that go long, and all the guys that don't go long have something else in common. It's starting to become very black and white for me. You can work, you can work out a specific way and chase that number and get like this, get bulky and get bulked up. And you can do a real good amount of damage in about a five, six-year window. And if you don't get it done in about a five, six-year window, maybe 10, I mean, that's kind of it. That's your run. That's, that's what you give up, I think, to, 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 to turn your body and go down that road. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I guess, I guess the, different, the only difference there is that those guys, those guys were not as good as Phil was at the starting game. You know, that's right. the one thing. Phil was just naturally gifted. He's right. such a great player. Tiger Woods calls him the most naturally gifted golfer he's ever seen. You know, like Phil will say that Tiger Woods is the best player in the history of the game and the best he's ever seen. And if you ask Tiger who, who was born with the most natural ability of anybody he's seen, He'll say Phil Mickelson. So, okay, on the other side, we're going to hear from Phil. Take a look at some of the numbers. Again, six major championship win, putting him tied for 12th on the all-time major list, eighth on the all-time PGA Tour win- winner list, 50, age 50. The numbers keep falling. The records keep falling. And thank you very much for that exemption to Tory Pines. I don't need it. More Phil Mickelson on the other side. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by TaylorMade. Experience the drives every golfer wants to hit and no golfer wants to follow with the all-new Sim 2 driver. Only from TaylorMade. Visit taylormadegolf.ca to learn more. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by smartgolfdeals.com. The smartest way to shop for golf. Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada. Zucchino, Weeks, Scully will be by. We're in studio listening on TSN 1050, TSN.ca, iHeartRadio. Of course, now watching us Mondays after majors, TSN 2, 10 to 12. So if you're watching us on TSN 2, good morning to you, coast to coast as well. Phil Mickelson gets it done. Six career major, just Vaulting him up the historic list, so to speak. Uh, before we hear from Phil, before we get uh, hear from our latest champion at the PGA, of course, his second PGA Championship, Bob, winning back in 2005, now has, you know, I, another dip into the a third leg of the career Grand Slam, still awaiting that first U.S. Open, which we'll take another crack at Katori Pines. He has six second-place finishes at the U.S. Open. No one in history has more second-place finishes in majors than Phil Mickelson other than Jack Nicklaus. That's amazing when you think about that, too, that he has, other than Jack, he has more second places, six of them coming at, at the U.S. Open. Before we hear from Phil, there were some interesting equipment issues with Phil <laughs> this week. So first he cracks, a, so he cracked the two-iron and a two-wood, and the two-wood was actually a mini-driver 
Taylor made mini driver. Taylor made mini driver. So so he he cracked one of them and replaced the mini driver with a four wood, which he just happened to have, or I think the two iron. The two iron with the four wood, yeah. Four wood, and then yeah, he cracked the face on the two iron. And he he said afterwards, it was interesting. He said, I would be worried if I didn't crack them. How hard I hit the ball, uh, how how many times I hit it in the center. Right. He wasn't trying to brag, but he was saying, you know, what happens with a lot of the clubs is that if they don't break, I guess at some point they start to get too hot. And right. they get they will you know go over the COR yeah. limits or whatever the, they're measuring it with these days. So he that's what he was worried about, but he had he had uh, changes. But I mean you're changing up clubs, 15 minutes before you're going to the fourth round of a major championship. That's league. it. I know. And he hit it off three and four. Yeah. The four wood he hit off three and four. The mini driver he used all week, calling it a two wood, and he happened to travel with two hits. He had yeah. a backup. It's crazy, right? I mean, unbelievable. Uh, again, Phil's always thinking outside the box. The wheels are already always turning. He goes six under par. He beats Louis Ustazen and Brooks Kepka by two shots. A closing Sunday 73. We haven't even mentioned the brilliance of this golf course. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit next. Before we go any deeper, let's hear from the 2021 PGA champion, age 50, Phil Mickelson. I mean, this is just an incredible feeling because I, I just believed th that it was possible, but yet everything was saying it wasn't. And I, I hope that um, others find that inspiration. It might take a little extra work, a little bit harder effort to maintain uh, physically or maintain the, the skills. But gosh, is it worth it uh, in the end? And I, I'm uh, so appreciative to be holding this Wanamaker trophy. We got to talk about these fans. They had your back all week and they was an iconic moment in history in the game of golf for you where does this accomplishment rank and where do these fans rank in terms of what you've experienced over your career yeah i've, I've i don't think i've ever had an experience like that so thank you for that um, <laughs> slightly unnerving but exceptionally awesome so thank you i love that bob slightly unnerving but except uh, exceptionally awesome okay uh, Mickelson goes six under. It's a two-shot win again over Kepka. Ustay's an amazing Kepka again here. A uh, little sour. I didn't like his energy. You know, I've never been shy to to uh, tell you how I feel about sometimes how Kepka carries himself. I find it disrespectful at times. I always found Tiger to be extremely confident and confident. Sometimes confident to the point where you know the greats of all time cross the line to arrogance. But Tiger was never disrespectful. Always a great historian of the game. Always very respectful to the game, even at his. Uh, most confident, even at his most, uh, uh, where where his just he the shadow was the biggest, so to speak. Kepka yesterday again talking about you know coming through that mob. Someone tried to kick him. He referred to someone trying to bump his knee or something like. It was a little strange. The energy coming from Kepka at the end. It wasn't uh, wasn't the, the the way you would uh, like to see someone lose with grace. Was that fair? Here's the one comment, and uh, and yeah, everyone hears the one comment, and, and then, of course they're going to lean on that. They're going to forget about the. Rest. That's going to make the headline. So uh, you forget that he did say that it was an amazing achievement. Um, but you're right, and it's that's that's his makeup. Um, but like, take nothing away from him. His record over the last four years in major championships. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. right? Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, he can he can strut a little bit, and that's that's his that's his DNA. He likes to have that chip on his shoulder. He likes to be the guy who's. He can, 
you know, sort of um, up against it. And I think he can do it in a better way, as you were pointing out with Tiger. He doesn't have to. And listen, I, he probably deserved a little more um, attention getting through the crowd than he got from, from the uh, constabulary there. So, um, And it's not a great thing when you're obviously injured and, and trying to walk through there. But again, how you handle things and, and, how, and what actually happens are, are two different things. All right, Mickelson spoke post-round about sacrifice, uh, fasting, changing diet, extra time with his body, uh, learning to control his mind, like putting in probably more hours of work at age 50 than he ever has to, to play championship golf. Uh, obviously, before this championship started, you and I uh, were expressing the, the belief that he's headed to Torrey Pines in a ceremonial capacity, really. Uh, I also suggested that I was really thrilled that he was going to uh, accept the sponsor's invite uh, from the U.S. Open, the tournament invite, because if you know he was very vocal about not wanting to enter the U.S. Open in that capacity. If he didn't earn it, he didn't want to go. And I said, listen, if there was ever a time where he could, you know, go go against that belief, you're in your hometown, Tory. This is your time to do it, so that your hometown fans can see you one more time play a U.S. Open. That's the kind of way we were talking. He said in his post round, "This could be the last win of my career." Or it could be a springboard. I don't know. Do you feel different about the rest of his season now? Or is this a one-off in your mind? It's hard to think it's a one-off. I mean, he might not win again, um, as, he's, as he admitted. But I think now he's shown he can play well again. I mean, let's face it. The reason we were counting him off is because there's just been no form for a year, a year and a half maybe, right? And it's been no real... You know, uh, signs that anything was getting better, it was going the other way. Mm -hmm. So now you read into this and you say, yeah, listen, the guy's found something that's working for him. Will it work every week? No, we know, we know that's not, we know that's not the way golf works. Um, but it could work again at the U.S. Open. He knows that golf course very well. There's a lot of positive things to look at. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's. Is the elephant too big? Well, I don't know. I think for Phil, you know, is <laughs> Patrick Harrington had a great line. When he talked about uh, he talked about you know older guys coming into majors, this was before Phil won. He said, you know, there's two things you get. He says you get experience, but you also get scar tissue. Right. So where's the difference, and where do you draw the line there? Right. Um, Same conversation we have with Rory at Augusta every year. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, so you wonder wonder what what what's going on in Phil's head if he can calm himself down enough to think about that. I don't know. Think he's ever actually tried too hard. Maybe he has, but um, but in most cases he's either thrown it away himself or he's just been beaten oh, he said he's going to go to Tory early and he's going to put in a lot of work he said it's not his last chance to win a u.s open but he thinks it's maybe his last best chance coming in with this type of confidence this type of victory and the time to prepare at a hometown course where he's had success before not as much success since they've done the renos to the property and and changed it slightly not like the same changes they had to the north course which is a complete uh uh, uh, flip over on the property, on the design. But certainly he feels good. You brought up Padraig Harrington. We only got about a minute left. We'll bring this up with Scully an hour or two. But there's a Ryder Cup coming up this year. Phil Mickelson was on nobody's radar for the Ryder Cup other than maybe an assistant captain. Is he now in the conversation to be playing for Team USA? Boy, he's put a lot of pressure on Steve Stricker right now. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I just would not want to be Steve Stricker because... I think it, you, probably you have to pick him. Probably you, you just have to, even if he doesn't play all that great. 
what he would bring to the team in terms of, of momentum, in terms of in the room, in terms of teammate, you know, he's, I think you have to bring him. So, and if you don't bring him, you're leaving the PGA championship off the champion off the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? This, you know who runs the Ryder cup, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Hello. <laughs> PGA Hello. <of> America. <laughs> wow. Okay. On the other side, we'll, uh, we're going to dive into this a little deeper. Uh, my colleague and friend, Will Haskett was part of the ESPN uh, early round uh, feature group coverage this week. Uh, Will will join us next. He was on the ground at Keough Island following some of the biggest names in the game. We'll get his perspective uh, from a firsthand account of the ocean course in South Carolina. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by SmartGolfDeals.com, the smartest way to shop for golf. This is Golf Talk Canada. Presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada. Zakino in studio. Bob Weeks also alongside. Bob will be back momentarily. Adam Scully as well. Coming up in hour two. We're just about to uh, continue our dive into the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island. Hour two will do winners, weird and what. Break down some of the notables that contended and some of the huge names that missed the cut. And that's a good segue into our next guest because he will give us a firsthand account of just how difficult this golf course was. I, I was just a huge fan of this golf course, always have been. Uh, I'm a big Pete Dye fan, and I do realize that uh, some people find his designs controversial. I got into a little bit on Twitter this week. Uh, with a few people, I, I think P. Dye was 30 years ahead of his time. And I think you, his golf courses stand up. And I think Mother Nature very much sets up a P. Dye golf course. And I'm not calling it a natural layout. I'm not saying he uses the land like a traditional Lynx golf course on the other side of the world. But what I'm suggesting is you get up to a P. Dye golf course, there's not a lot of tinkering that goes on for a major championship like a U.S. Open. We don't bring in the fairways 15 yards on either side. We don't grow 8-inch rough. We set it up the way it is. This golf course was designed for multiple wins, different directions. Um, I think it's just absolutely brilliant, and we saw it in, in all its glory this week. So, anyway, uh, well, I'd like to welcome now to our program a colleague of mine from PGA Tour Radio. Also, a great podcast. If you, if you like podcasts, I'm a podcast guy myself, and, and Will Haskett has a very interesting uh, uh, podcast called The Perfect Number Podcast. And if you like an analytical approach and a num numbers approach to the game of golf, he's got some very interesting topics. Check it out. Check him out on Twitter, at Will Haskett. This week, part of the ESPN early round coverage, featured group coverage, bringing in my friend now, Will Haskett. Will, I know you had a long week, buddy, so I really appreciate you doing this. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm good. Congratulations on playing golf again up there, boys. I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Will. Thank you very much. All right, let, before we get into what we witnessed here uh, with Mickelson and, and maybe where this stands historically for you in your mind, if it changes anything historically, uh, you, I don't know if you heard me right there off the top, just some thoughts on the ocean course. I, I love the fact that we show up to a golf course and it has a Mother Nature kind of feel and approach to it in the sense that it could play different every day. Uh, it, it plays different across different wind conditions. I love to see it with a bounce as opposed to back in, in 2012 when it was underwater and it was kind of mushy for uh, McElroy. I, I, I really thought it, it shined in, in this sunny, dry weather. How much do you love this golf course? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I love every golf course when the weather elements for that particular week cooperate. You know, I mean, I think that's it's something that I don't think gets discussed enough when we talk about weeks and if it's, if golf is too easy or whatever sort of setups are. But it was the perfect storm without a storm for, you know, the superintendent and the PGA of America to set up that golf course because they had coolish nights, warmish days and not a drop of rain. So you could, you could allow it to to bake out in a few spots and, you know, put some water here or there. Um, I do love it as a test. I think, you know, it was very much like a lot of Pete Dye designs. I did hear you at the beginning, you know, 30 years ago, you know, when he created the stadium course at PGA West and he created this golf course, you know, it was, people were looking at him like, you're, you're crazy. I mean, there's no way we can do this. I mean, Mark Calcavecchia literally had to walk up onto a sand dune and cry because that golf course and the pressure of the Ryder Cup in 1991, like beat him up so badly that it, it broke him down. You know, the tour pros refused to play the stadium course you know, 30 years ago when they were having Q school and stuff there, and it was just so hard. And now, you know, it's it's run of the mill when it comes to, and they softened it a little bit. So, you know, I think that, you know, Pete created a lot of amazing things that he knew would be super challenging, but then also have stood up as, you know, golfers have gotten bigger, stronger, the equipment has gotten better. And so I do. I, I like that golf course when it plays links E. And it's and I, and I say that because it's not a links course. Um, it's an American length course. And by that, I mean, it's on a coast, it's built on sand, but it's got all these elevated greens. Like you can't play traditional length shots to 15 of the holes on that property. And so uh, I guess within that framework, and I don't want to you know, turn this conversation and get it off the rails and going in a different direction. Like, I guess it sort of satisfies a lot of different varieties of the game in that you have to be creative. There are escape shots. You have to be able to play off of weird lies and sandy sort of areas. But it also sort of demands modern golf shots too. Well, and, to, and, Phil, and will to a certain air. degree, we're going to see this again in a few months yeah. at a Ryder Cup, at another Pete Dye golf course that's going to have a similar feel and a similar ask, for lack of a better term. Absolutely, and it, and whether you, I mean, so I, I guess it's my thing. I like it, so I like the test because I think that you have to go be able to go upstairs and downstairs at different times with your golf shot. So it doesn't play like an open championship, but it also doesn't play like Quail Hollow. So it has a little bit of both to them. I think it's a Lynx sort of course off the tee, but it's more of an American-style modern golf course in its second shot, if that makes sense. And so I like it, but I'm also pretty easy to please. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive right in here to the big boy himself. And uh, I'm not talking about Zucchino, obviously, because he's, he's the, the short big boy. But, but what... What impressed you the most about how Phil got this done? I think embracing what was going to need to happen in order to get it done. You know, my wife and I watched the end. I actually had to DVR it last night because I was traveling home, you know, from my obligations. So I somehow managed to stay off social media and text until about 9.30 last night because I, I knew if history happened, I didn't want to. I wanted to experience it as if it was live. And so my wife was watching it with me, and she self-admittedly is not the world's biggest golf fan, but obviously knows who Phil Mickelson is. And her first instinct was, That's, he's 50? Like, look at how good he looks. You know, and so for someone that hadn't really seen him uh, for a while, it's like the, his commitment to his physical fitness, his commitment to, you know, being able to hit the ball longer to sort of stay relevant. And then to me this past week, and we can talk all we want about, you know, how long it takes to play around a golf. I loved the theater and the drama of it because I think the only way that Phil was going to be able to get it done was sticking to a methodical process where he maintained such an even keel vibe from heart rate and breathing and stuff because he knew how hard it was going to be at his age to be able to do it. 
and he wanted the challenge, and he did it. And so that, to me, is more impressive than some of the shots that he hit. It's that he knew that it would be hard. It wasn't going to be 35-year-old Phil Mickelson trying to win a golf tournament. And his ability to focus in that moment more than anybody else to execute, to me, was, was so impressive. But, I mean, he has to be emotionally spent for a while now because of it. But he was able to maintain that focus with his brother Tim for 36 incredible holes over the weekend with the pressure cooker just getting tighter and tighter around him. Well, we like to play a little uh, game called over par, under par. Over par meaning uh, you may be coming out of this event as a loser with some concern, for lack of a better term. Under par, you didn't win the golf tournament, but you leave a winner. You leave with momentum. Who's under par? Who's your biggest under par other than Mickelson this week? And who's over par for you? Who's got some concerns as we head closer to a U.S. Open now? Um, Well, that's a great question. You know, I think, um, I, I guess the... The over-par guys, and it's not necessarily just the performance, but from a PR standpoint, it was not a good week for Brooks Kepka. It was not a good week for John Rahm. It was not a good week for a few guys around there that, unfairly or not, I think that you, know, you leave that week not just with questions about the performance itself and what it means moving forward, because you know, I'm not really concerned about either one of those two guys necessarily, but like... You know, in the pressure cooker, we saw what happened when Phil Mickelson could grind and maintain the focus and the positive attitude that was necessary to get it done. And then you saw a couple of other guys that I think didn't shine in their moments uh, to be able to do some of that. And then I guess under par guys, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty sneaky good leaderboard when it was all said and done. I mean, Ricky Fowler making the most of the exemption, you know, I think is, is huge, you know, to finish. And I understand that, you know, he makes that putt in the last hole. It means a lot more to him as, as a top five and what that means in terms of opportunities moving forward. But, you know, it was pretty controversial, I think, by some people to view what happened to him, you know, getting the special exemption and then to step up, take advantage of that exemption in top 10, I think is pretty important. Uh, Kevin Streelman, you know, I, I thought that it was, you know, a, a great um, weekend to be able to showcase how good he's been from a consistency standpoint over the last couple of years. So to him to get a little bit of time to a mainstream audience on a weekend. So I guess those are my two under par guys. I mean, I look at the leaderboard now. I didn't realize Harry Higgs finished tied for fourth. So get on you, big fella. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> what, what do you think about uh, the world's number one ranked golfer right now, Dustin Johnson? He sort of seems to be lost in the woods a little bit. He is. And, you know, I actually had a debate offline with um, a, a data scientist guy who I um, admire a whole lot and we were going back and forth because he was listening to my feature group coverage and I was saying that you know DJ just isn't a guy that when he's on has that sort of short-sighted left miss and the argument was that DJ misses both directions which I'm not discounting that I'm just saying when DJ's at the peak of his powers he hits that little bleeder fade with every single shot from the driver to his irons and I've spent a lot of time with DJ whether it was in Tampa or the players or anytime in the sort of swoon I've seen a lot of golf shots up close and personal from Dustin and he's just got this like pull and sometimes the pull hook and he's just shocked when it happens and he's not calibrating for it because why would you when you've had a shot that's worked so much for you and so that may seem simple but that to me is just is the is what's going on is that he just has this he has this miss that was kind of uncommon for him when things are going really well we just out to the right and it's just weird it oh we're losing Will there. He's cutting in and out on us there. All right. Will, we've lost the signal with you. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Uh, really appreciate your time. At Will Haskett, check him out, at Will Haskett on the Twitter handle. Uh, always a good listen on his podcast as well. And, Will, if you can still hear me, look forward to seeing you finally when I get back on the road in September. We can work in person together. and That's what this is today, Bob. We all start working in person again. I get like, to see you and Adam. Wow. Unbelievable. So, Will Haskett, at Will Haskett on Twitter, part of the ESPN early round coverage this week. Okay, on the other side, we're going to take a break because on the other side, we're giving away meat, Bob. I, uh, I dined last night. Did you? On a beautiful ribeye from Mr. Butcher. There you go. And uh, it was spectacular. There you go. I've now uh, started giving the gift of meat. It was my mother's birthday in April. I, gave, I got her a box of ribeyes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I'm giving the gift of meat now. That's so great. That's, that's, that's good. Great. She what loved it. So. How did you wrap it? That's it. Uh, it. Well, there wasn't much wrapping. There wasn't <laughs> much wrapping. On the other side, we'll do it for our listeners on TSN 1050. If you're listening on TSN 1050 in the uh, Toronto area, we're open up the phone lines, 870-1050, 870-1050 for listeners on TSN 1050. $100 Mr. Butcher gift card giveaway on the other side, and we'll welcome in Mr. Adam Scully. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by WeatherTech Canada, Canada's leader in automotive accessories. This is Golf Talk Canada presented by TaylorMade. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada. Zakino Weeks. Going to welcome in Adam Scully momentarily. Before we welcome in Adam, let's do a Mr. Butcher $100 gift card. I know you're watching us on TSN 2 Coast to Coast this morning or listening on iHeartRadio. This $100 Mr. Butcher gift card only for our listeners on TSN 1050 in Toronto. They don't deliver to uh, Winnipeg, for example. (laughs) Too bad. I know. Too bad. But they don't. Maybe one day they will. I don't know. All right. Phil Mickelson won his second PGA Championship. His second PGA Championship yesterday at the age of 50. We want to know what year did Phil Mickelson win his first PGA Championship? What year did Phil Mickelson win his first PGA Championship? 870-1050-416-870-1050. What year? Did Phil Mickelson win his first PGA Championship? 870-1050. And, of course, yesterday was his second and his sixth major. Okay. Welcoming in now, master producer himself. Followed all your uh, edge stuff this week, Scully. You were efforting quite a bit. I think I might have been the laziest of the three of us <laughs> this week. Uh, Bob was working Sports Center and doing all, all, all his articles and all his stuff for .ca. Adam, you were on edge all week, and um, I was basically uh, sitting on my butt trying to collect bed source. So I heard you on the radio a bunch of times. I did do a couple of radio hits, <laughs> but that, those are those. I'm still sitting on my butt when I do those. So, Scully, what do you think? What were your impressions yesterday when you saw what what unfolded, what transpired? You must have just like no one could see this coming. Yeah, gentlemen, no one could see this coming for sure. You know, from a fantasy perspective, Phil Mickelson opened the week with 200 to 1 odds. Opened the week with 200 to 1. So absolutely nobody saw this coming. Obviously, the three of us didn't predict Phil Mickelson would have any sort of, you know, he wouldn't be in the mix at all at the PGA Championship. But it was unbelievable the way 
he kept it going. You know, on Saturday, he made that bad double bogey on the 13th mm-hmm. hole. You thought, is he going to blow up from here? You know, we saw Wells Fargo a couple weeks ago having the lead after the first round at 7-under. He finished that tournament at 7-over. We were just waiting for that to happen. After bogeying his first hole on Sunday, we thought, is this when Phil is going to blow up? But he kept it together. And, gents, how about the scene on 18? With so many people, obviously here in Canada, we're in a bit of a different COVID situation. But not only from a COVID perspective, but all of those fans, it was very reminiscent of Tiger Woods at Eastlake, wasn't it, boys? Yeah, it was. We'll get into a little bit more of that in Winner's Weird and What later on uh, in the show. But, yeah, it was, it was just awe. It was just jaw-dropping scene. It was so cool. Uh, again, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, you know, what's interesting is we got slaughtered, all of us, on our fantasy picks this week. <laughs> saw that. I mean, the blood was in the water this week. We weren't even close. Um I, I, are you surprised? That's, I, we're going to do a little bit. Uh, uh, obviously, we're going to take a look at some notables and big names in Mr. Cut. You brought up DJ. Um, let's just stay with DJ right now because you brought it up with, uh, with Will. I, I'm not surprised DJ didn't contend, but I am surprised he missed the cut, Bob. I thought there would have been enough work done away from the scenes now on a golf course. It does give you a little wiggle room off the tee. Um, all, even with the wind, et cetera, et cetera. I, I was, I'm really shocked he missed the cut. Yeah, it's, uh, by the way, we were also off on our prediction of the score, <laughs> which someone reminded me <laughs> yes. of. We yes, way both off of that. us, we got drilled but, on that. But uh, as far as DJ, the thing that concerns me most, I mean, he's, well, he's still ranked as number one, which is great. But this, every week that he doesn't perform, or at least contend or, or play well, you kind of wonder, is this a bigger problem? Mm-hmm. I've never seen, if you go back and look at his record, I've done it a couple times now to kind of figure out where the longest stretch of sort of weak performances have been. And, and there's really not in the, in the recent three or four years where he has played this inconsistently or this poorly uh, over this stretch of golf. And, and I keep waiting for him to break out and kind of correct it all. But I haven't seen that yet. And, and this one, again, is one of the more surprising ones because he pulled out Last week, we, we saw him up there already playing a practice round on Saturday, uh, last Saturday, to try and you know get a, a handle on what was going on there, and it was just nothing. It, 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 there's nothing, yeah. It's hard to put your finger on it to your point. You know, Will brought up a good point. You know, he, he's a one-trick pony, but when it, in terms of that ball flight... But I mean, that's the game. If you can predict ball flight all day, that you know, it's a, it's an easy game when you know everything's moving left to right or everything's going to move right to left. Whatever your ball flight is for for DJ, it, it's it's a left to right ball flight. And when you're setting up left all day, and it ain't cutting, that's a scary. It's a scary time to pull the trigger. You know, Jack Nicklaus played his entire career removing the left side of the golf course, aiming up the left side because he knew it was going to cut. And we've just, you know, we've seen guys have so much success going to a cut. You know, look at Rory winning at Wells Fargo. What what was the, one of the main reasons other than 52 of 52 from six feet? You know, he, he said, I'm going to a cut exclusively off the tee. And for 71 holes, that cut worked. Snapped the three-wood, got away with it, won the <laughs> Wells Fargo. Uh, Scully, how, where are you on DJ right now? Do you think this is one of those things where we just wake up in the next two weeks and he's back and the slump's over? Or do you have deeper concerns here? 
the way that golf has gone this year with so many significant superstars, both in the men's and, and ladies game, you know, breaking long slumps and winning, I wouldn't be surprised if Dustin Johnson wins next week. Now, you know, Dustin Johnson doesn't have a long slump, obviously, but, you know, think back to last July when DJ seemed absolutely lost. 80-80-78 with rounds he withdrew, and then he came back and had one of the best stretches we've seen in professional golf in the last decade, perhaps. It's now seven straight tournaments without a top 10 for Dustin Johnson. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, back in the winner's circle in a couple weeks. You know, the U.S. Open's only a month or so away. But for DJ, you wonder, like, is it his putting off the tee? His strokes gained off the tee stats through two rounds of the PGA Championship weren't that bad. His putting was very inconsistent, so you wonder maybe does he go back to the, the old and reliable quote-unquote spider putter that helped him win so many times late in 2020? He, he's a puzzling case right now, that's for sure. It is a bit of a puzzling case. We will take a look at some other players in hour two that missed the cut. We're also going to play over par, under par immediately at the top of the hour with some names that uh, did make the cut for the weekend. We'll pull a few and I'll get uh, Bob and Adam's take on over par, under par on what they get in terms of momentum or where they're at as they come out of the PGA Championship. Adam, we've got a uh, one-hour TV show uh, to put a bow on this and look forward on Wednesday, but we also have 20 weeks of TaylorMade continuing as we speak. We're just hours away from the draw this week. Uh, what is being given away and how can people still win? They can still get in and still win, correct? They can still get in and they can still win. This week, later this afternoon, we are giving away the special edition, limited edition, TaylorMade staff bag that all of Team TaylorMade was carrying this weekend at the PGA Championship, as well as three head covers. If you want to win, all you have to do, follow Golf Talk Canada, follow TaylorMade Canada on Twitter and Instagram, and tag your golfing buddies, and you'll be in a draw to win this great commemorative staff bag and three head covers. The draw is happening a little later this afternoon. There you go. 20 Weeks TaylorMade at Galta Canada, at TaylorMade Canada. Social media, Twitter, Instagram. Get engaged for your chance to win. All right, only a couple of minutes left here before we go to break. We'll pick it up on the other side with over par, under par. Just to put a bow on the fill, uh, thoughts, although it might come up again in Winner's Weird What. I was uh, extremely impressed at how he reacted to the bad shot on 13. They put it in the water. He, he tugged that. He wasn't flag hunting. He was trying to hit that 20, 25 feet left of the hole and, and, and turned it over, calmed down, uh, and then made some really good swings after that. But there's a line I always like to say that Peter Costas always used to talk about, that when a player is under pressure, the first thing that goes is decision-making, right? And when you uh, saw him hit that shot on 17, he flushed that iron exactly where he was looking at 17. That's just that nervous energy. Very unlucky to get up that hill into that fescue native grass on 17. I thought when he was looking and he got down on the green and he looked at the line uh, of the flag, I thought, is he lost his mind? Is he going to try to chip this up to the flag and then bring that back edge of the green in play? And I don't know what he was looking at there, but by the time he got back to the ball and settled down, he hit like this perfect little 60-degree chunk chip onto the putting surface, kind of tumbled it down the hill, 20 feet left of the flag, 25 left uh, feet, 25 feet left of the flag to the safe area green. And I thought to myself, that's a guy thinking clearly in, in a huge pressure situation. Because, Bob, if, if his mind's scrambling there and his mind's racing, maybe Phil Mickelson, maybe the Phil Mickelson that lost the 2006 U.S. Open at Wingfoot, 
Maybe Phil Mickelson doesn't make that shot or that decision in that situation. <laughs> Listen, uh, the there's there's a lot of bad decisions that Phil's made in his in his career, thinking he could be the the hero and play the hero shot. Uh, that was probably one of the other big things of of this win. He, uh, I think he, and I think he got a lot of help from Tim, his brother as well in the so bag, too. just to stay calm, relax. Let's move on. Did with that, that situation shot. stand out to you when you were yeah. watching that? Well, I knew that tee shot wasn't going to be short. <laughs> so <laughs> when it went up to the back, I wasn't really surprised. But you're right. The, the next shot, uh, the next shot that he chunked down there was that was just a smart play. He's got a lead. Just play with that, and yeah, you're going to make a bogey. But don't. But take the big number out, which he did all week. All week, Adam. Did that situation stand out for you? Like to me, that whole process that he went through at the 17th green with the final decision to do what he did, to me, is like. Uh, a shining moment in the as as an example of the week that was for Phil on how this was different than say you know those ones that he gave away in the past. 100% agree. You know, backing off that tee shot on 17 and then hitting it long. Although, boys, it was pretty ironic and coincidental on on 18. You could miss it anywhere left off the tee, and he did. You know, you think back to the 2006 U.S. Open when he missed that tee shot, miles left. But this time around, you know, he could miss that left anywhere, found a good angle to the green. Uh, you know, Phil Mickelson, what a historic victory, and a different Phil Mickelson than, than we've seen in the last six months, you know, to a year. All right. Well, we still haven't decided. At the end of today's show, I'm going I'm to ask you, has this changed where you put him historically, because we'll have two hours into this. Right? We're going to make a decision here, guys, okay? So I'm going to want to know, has he moved? And if so, how significantly? Where is this? This is tough. It is tough. Because someone's got if you put him inside the top ten, somebody's got to come out. And that's what makes it challenging. We'll keep going deep into this in hour two. But on the other side, we're going to do under par, over par with players that made the cut. And we'll get Bob and Adam's take on who's leaving with momentum and who's leaving maybe a little stalled, even though they played four rounds at the Ocean Course at Keough Island. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by TaylorMade was brought to you by Play Golf Myrtle Beach. No destination in the world can match Myrtle Beach's volume of golf, quality, and value. Come discover why Myrtle Beach is the golf capital of the world. Thank you for listening to Hour 1 of GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television, weekly on the TSN Television Network. This is Hour 2 of Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Sacchino, Bob Weeks, and Adam Scully. And welcome back to Golf Talk Canada. Whether you're listening on TSN 1050, iHeartRadio, TSN 2 TV, Coast to Coast, congratulations, Carol Stubbitz. She wins the $100 Mr. Butcher gift card. Congratulations, Carol. And you're also in the draw for the grand prize later this summer for you and nine friends to have a Mr. Butcher barbecue. And the, our friends at uh, Sandbagger are going to jump in on that as well. So congratulations. Carol knew that Phil Mickelson's first PGA Championship came at in 2005. Was that Baltistral? Was it Baltistral? Baltistral. It yeah, was Baltistral. Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. And I recall, you know, I, people forget you know, the highest ranking Phil Mickelson's ever had 
He's, listen, he spent a lifetime inside the top 50 in the world, and most of that was in the top 5 and top 10 in the world. Most of his entire career. Like, it's ridiculous, 30 years. But he never reached officially number 1 in the world. He got to number 2, and he was up number 2 for quite some time on multiple occasions. But I like to always uh, remind people that he won the 2005 PGA Championship, which, which was the last major back in those days when it was played in August, right? He won the 2006 Masters, Masters. back-to-back majors, and he led, standing on the 72nd tee at the following major, the U.S. Open, playing for three major championships in a row. And, and in, I think, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, Tiger Woods, by the way, missed that cut at the 2006 uh, U.S. Open, which back in the day, Tiger never missed cuts, remember? Right, when his father right after died. his father passed away. I think at that moment in time, if you threw out the, the numbers, if you lit the world rankings on fire, two majors in a row, standing on the 72nd tee at the U.S. Open with the lead, I think Phil Mickelson was the number one player in the world. Hard to argue with that. I mean, he's just won two majors, should have won three in a row. You're right. And you it's... Know, uh, it's uh, The numbers, it's, the records will never show it, Bob. No, that's right. And that the, that's why the world... Rankings are a little bit strange sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes you can play and finish mediocre and you drop. And sometimes you can't play and you go up. I mean, it's, it's always a strange beast. I want to bring something up to, to you gentlemen because uh, I got into a bit of a dialogue on Twitter this week. You know, I love Twitter. It's always so friendly and happy. That's what I enjoy. <laughs> but it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling every time I go on Twitter. Uh, but I want to get your guys' take on this because Pete Dye is very controversial as as an architect. Uh, 30 years ago, to Will Haskett's point, they, the pros won't even play here. Bob, you remember Stadium Course and Sawgrass and PG West. Forget it, right? This this golf course was actually awarded the Ryder Cup before it was built. There you go. That's, there that's you go. amazing. Yeah. And in 91, it was a lot more difficult than it was. I know it's longer today. They've added some yardage. But it's pretty much the same golf course with the exception of yardage. But they've thinned out a lot of the native areas and stuff. It's actually an easier golf course today than it was back in 91. And anybody who played in 91 will tell you that. I, I suggested something, though, on social media. And I want your take on this. Because... I remember when you and I were wrapping up the Open Championship a few years ago, uh, the duel between Mickelson and Stenson. And you were, you, I thought you made such an amazing point. We were talking about time. it. No, 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 Bob, you said that not, you know, we don't need greens all the time running at 14 and 15. And we don't need a, a tournament committee to come in and completely change the makeup or environment of a golf course to, to make great theater and to make great championships. And you were a huge fan of, of the Mickelson-Stenson duel and, the, and, and how many birdies were made. And just, I mean, it might be the greatest 36-hole duel in the history of the game. And, and I kind of started, that, that was going through my mind when I was watching this golf course because the greens were slow, guys. Like, to, to major championship standards, they wouldn't even tell us what they were on the stint meter. They, they didn't announce them. But because of the windy conditions of the ocean course of Kiowa Island, they did not scalp these greens. They did not burn out these greens. They did not lose these putting surfaces. They did not bring in the fairways 15 yards or 10 yards on both sides and give us 8-inch rough. Okay? With the exception of the yardage, which I would defend is just... That is just a, a symptom of the modern-day game. If you're going to hit it 366 yards, we got to build longer golf courses, okay? 
And I've always been a big, big, big fan of, well, if we just set it up really, really, really hard, like Marion, we can control par. But I'm starting to feel like maybe we don't need to do that. Like, I'm starting to feel like, why are we obsessed with par? And I'm starting to feel like, why... Why do we need to keep going back to golf courses? And this is where I'm going with this. 30 years ago, these courses were unplayable. and Pete Dye was before his time. And now they're perfect. Mother Nature set up this golf course, and they're perfect. Do we need, Bob, and Adam, I'm coming to you for this as well. Mm-hmm. But do we need to rethink what a major venue is, Bob? If we've got to go to a golf course that has historically been a major venue, and we have to go there. And we got to bring in the fairways 10, 15 years. And we got to grow eight inch rough. And we got to take the greens to a number and a speed that we're, they're almost dead on Monday morning. And if there's a membership, they can't play them because they're dead. Do we need to completely rethink what major championship venues are? Because I'm starting to go that maybe it's time to say goodbye to some golf courses that ne- that needs to be done to, Bob. I think there are some courses that just. You know, simply can't handle it. But there's, don't forget, there's a lot of stuff that goes into choosing the right golf course. It's not, sadly, just the course. You've got to have acreage to put up all the stuff, the traveling circus that comes with it. You've got to have a range that can handle PGA Tour pros, you know. So it, there's a balance on that side of the ledger that you need to bring in. But in terms of, of the scoring, of the uh, ability to, for these guys to hit good shots, that's what it comes down to for me. If you're forcing guys to hit good shots and be rewarded for those as opposed to getting away with something or where you don't have to be quite as precise off the tee or you don't have to be quite as precise going into the greens or um, or even on the greens. I, I don't think you have to punish the guys with greens that are running 14 that you can't hit a putt if you're above the hole. You know, so there are certain, it's such a fine balance, but you're right. I think it's time to look at a lot of these traditional courses and say, yeah, maybe that's just not going to cut it anymore. But tell that guy who's going to write the check from the club for, to the USGA right. or whatever. Right. I mean, there are some out there, like I think the U.S. Open this year is on a course that is another one that's perfectly um, designed. It's not a hard golf course when you look at it. Remember, we all played it a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, it kicks our butt all the and, time. But it's right there in front of you. It's not tricked up. It's just big, and it's bold, and it's, I guess it's beautiful, right? I think that's the word, and I think you're bang on, Bob. It's not tricked up. It's big, it's bold, it's in your face, but it, it is in front of you. A- Adam, are you you feeling this, what, what we're going with this, in the sense that, you know, and I don't want to start picking out golf courses, but, like, you know, next year the PGA Championship's going to Southern Hills. And, I, you know, I've, I've said, you know, it doesn't really excite me very much, especially after what we're coming off. The rota of golf courses that we're seeing, especially in the first three majors, is off the charts, or... Do you think it might be time to to rethink or revisit where we're going with some major championship venues? And I think, guys, this might affect the U.S. Open more than it does any other major. That's where I was going. I I think this will affect the U.S. Open much more. I mean, if Kerry Haig set up the courses for the U.S. Open, I think we'd see a very different story. You think back to the 2018 U.S. Open, the third round at Shinnecock. They lost that golf course on the Thursday. And then Tommy Fleetwood nearly shoots 62 on the Sunday the next day when they had to make the course so much easier because the, the greens were essentially dead. You know, you think back to Chambers Bay as well. There are so many issues around that golf course. They hadn't played a U.S. Open there before. But those greens, as, as Billy Horschel and Ian Poulter called it, were essentially broccoli. That you, you couldn't roll any putts. 
on them. But you think that other past PGA championships in terms of, you know, entertainment and guys being right there, Justin Thomas in 2017, Brooks Kepka, both of his victories, yes, 2019 at Bethpage might have been just a bomber's paradise and narrowing the fairways at Bethpage just a bit. But Colin Moore Cowswin at Harding Park, they didn't really have to trick that up very much. Obviously, Kiowa Island that we just saw was another great test. But like I mentioned off the top, if you just put Kerry Haig, you know, set, allow him to set up the courses for the U.S. Open, I think it'd be a bit of a different story. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at this leaderboard and the variety of players that had a chance, chance to win. And, of course, you know, I've completely burned this segment with this topic. Sorry, guys. But it just I thought it was something that, <laughs> of interest that needed to be discussed. But there's a variety of different types of players. We've got Podrick Harrington in the top five on That's this leaderboard, right? Yeah, we've got, you know, Phil Mickelson, obviously, still hitting bombs uh, at number one. But we have, a, you know, a very variety of, of golfers here. Justin Rose with a nice little finish top ten. Colin Morikawa. Short by modern day standards, you know, by modern day standards in a top 10 position. And I think uh, when you see the variety of style of golf and the different types of golfers that had a chance to compete on this golf course without any tricks, without any nonsense, I don't know why people get so upset at Pete Dye. You know, I don't, don't it's still, it's still confusing to me <laughs> as to why some people still, um, I don't know. They, they're not there yet, Bob. That's that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. I guess there <laughs> it is. All right, on the other side, we'll do uh, over par, under par, because we were supposed to do it in this segment, and I completely <laughs> ruined that. So we'll do that on the other side. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC was presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. For over 15 years, our focus has been on helping Canadians stay invested in all market conditions, including this one. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by the Muskoka Bay Club and Resort. Live, stay, and play. All right, welcome back to Golf Talk Canada's Aquino Weeks Scully. All right, guys, let's play a little over par, under par, and let's start with second place. Adam Louis Oosthuizen. He's got the career Grand Slam second place at majors, Louis Oosthuizen. Working on, num- on doubling him up. Yeah, going a second time around the horn. At this point in Louis's career, and he's played well this season, he's had some really strong play this season, Louis Oosthuizen. Adam, at this point in Louis's career, another second place at a major, is he coming out with momentum or is he coming out with more scar tissue? Over par, under par? I would say he's still coming out with some momentum given the way that he struck the golf ball. But his putting stats were flat-out abysmal. In round three alone, he lost three shots to the field just on the greens. If if Louis Oosthuizen had a decent week putting, he might be the guy holding the Wanamaker Trophy in a second career major championship. Having said that, you know, for a guy his age, another great finish, I would still say there's some momentum and under par and could be a maybe even a sleeper pick heading into the final two majors of the men's season. Bob, Louis Oosthuizen, under par, over par? Uh, I'm going to go over par just because he, he did miss an opportunity to, to do it. He didn't sink anything from eight feet uh, on the weekend, I think, was the stat I heard. And, and I think that at this point, you know, like you said, he's got the silver slam. He, he wants to win these things. And this was an opportunity to win. He, you know, he shot one over par on, uh, on Sunday. And I think if he thinks... Two putts over the weekend. 
I'm sure he could have found two that should have gone in. I think so. I think this is an over par. I'm with you, Bob. I'm going to go over par, par with uh, Louis as well. So we got two overs, one under, and I'm going to go a similar line to you. Let's look at the players that played in roughly the same time window on Sunday of uh, Louis Ustazen. So let's not look at Abraham Answer, who was out way ahead of everybody and post a 65, okay? That's a different round of golf. Let's look at the players around him. Kepka 74. Okay, Harrington, 69. Lowry, 69. Higgs, 70. Casey, 71. If Louis Ustazen shoots 70, two under par instead of his 73, we're in a playoff. And, and that round was out there. So I'm going to go over par. I'm going to say this is another disappointment more than it is momentum. He's playing well already. I don't think he needs momentum. What he needs is a victory on a really big stage. And he still never won on American soil. Uh, Incredible that we still never won on American soil. Okay, Adam, back around the horn. Brooks Kepka, second place finish. Over par, under par. Again, for me, this is still an under par week for Brooks Kepka. Because heading into the week, we didn't know if he'd be able to walk the entire golf course the way he was hobbling around at Augusta National. And we've seen Brooks Kepka in the past. His PGA Championship record is now pretty darn good. Having said that, his last two final rounds of PGA Championships, you think back to August at Harding Park, and then on Sunday, of course, he did struggle. But for Kepka as well, like for Ustazen, he struggled on the greens. He, you know, said after his third round that was one of his worst putting performances he's ever had. But his outlook for the rest of the year, assuming he didn't actually get, you know, significantly more injured during the walk-up 18 like he claimed to after his final round on Sunday. It's still an under par week for me for Brooks Kepka because go heading into the week we had zero expectations for him. Bob, Kepka. I got I got to go under par as well. I think the fact that the uh, playing maybe we don't know the extent of the injury how what that affected him obviously we could see you couldn't really get down and line up the ball it was a little bit uncomfortable when he did that and the fact that he hasn't really played much I mean when you think about how limited his his game is his competitions uh, rounds have been I think finishing second is pretty remarkable I'm with you guys. I'm under par on this one as well because there's just question marks across his health the entire way. And the fact that he contended in this championship and came very close to winning, I think uh, definitely under par. And uh, who knows? Now it's now it's knee watch, right? We'll just watch this knee the rest of the way and go from there. Okay, I got a tough one for you gentlemen. Corey Connors opens with the 67. Ends up 75, 73, 73 in a T-17 position Adam over par under par and this is a tough one because the top 20 in another major but it's a disappointment after a 67 out of the gates does Corey come out under or over and I know Adam's going to say even I know he's going to say even (laughs) you know for me here this is an over par week for Corey Connors I loved his comments after Sunday's final round saying he's leaving here with a sour taste in his mouth he's not happy finishing in the top 20 he's ready to win these big events he had the lead after the first round playing some great golf obviously on Friday morning he did struggle through his first six holes making four or five bogeys right out of the gate but he bounced back well his Sunday wasn't spectacular it was sort of mediocre one birdie and two bogeys a t17 finish for Corey connors but again another player you have to think for the u.s open and the open championship for our tsn edge picks for anyone's picks Corey connors has to be there the way he's playing still second on the pga tour in top tens this season bob Corey. Uh, yeah i'm gonna go over par as well and 
One of the interesting things I was diving around with um, on Saturday night and checked it again briefly a bit on Sunday was, you know, we focus so much on his putter and he lives and dies with his putter. His wedge game needs to get sharper as well. That's what He's, I was saying on TV last week. 152 strokes gain around the green. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of his putting problems lead, can be driven from the fact that his wedge needs to be sharper. I know, uh, talking to his coach, Derek Ingram, that he has um, he switched out his wedges. He's got different wedges in the bag now because he can't, couldn't get enough spin on the ones he had. He's trying to find a way to get a little bit more spin on that. So um, if he can improve his wedge play, that'll obviously help his putting. But I think that's probably an area, and I'm, look, I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know, but I, I think he's disappointed with this, and I think he probably should be disappointed because his expectations and his game um, is probably better than this, especially after that brilliant first round. Yeah, we all agree with this. I'm over par as well. Again, the brilliant round. And also, I think this is a good over par, though, if this makes any sense to you guys. And I mean it's a good over par because I think Corey agrees with us, and that's a good sign. Right, it's not no longer oh oh wow good another top twenty. He don't care about that. He's disappointed that he didn't follow up. He thought he had a chance to win this championship, and that's what you want to hear from uh, Team Canada. You don't want them happy with top twenties. Okay, guys, um, Rory McIlroy. We won't play over par or under par because I think you know it's pretty obvious uh, where he leaves this. But I wasn't very high on Rory coming into this. I almost felt like Wells Fargo was a bit of an outlier. I looked at some of those driving numbers. I also looked at it as a horses for courses play. I mean, like, he just knows that. He's just so comfortable around that venue. 52 of 52 inside six feet. To, to expect him to have that type of putting performance again uh, would be unrealistic. My question to you guys is this. Okay. Where are you with Rory right now in terms of what to expect from Rory? Are you back to where you were before Wells Fargo on what to expect from Rory? Or are you somewhere in between where we left? Like, what does this do for you, Bob? Is it, how far back does this pull your expert expectations as to where Rory is in this process? New coach, new thoughts, a lot of new stuff going on. Yeah, I think having seen this now, maybe we sort of overreacted, me especially, because I picked him this week, um, overreacted to how far he's come with his new structure, game, team, whatever you want to call it, whatever part of that you want to analyze. But I was surprised that he didn't play better. Uh, his putter was horrific. I don't know how many times he kind of either misread. It looked like he was misreading putts almost more than mishitting putts. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, listen, again, we're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but I'm, I'm a little more cautious on the side that maybe Rory isn't the guy that I might pick going into the next major. Adam, where are you? Are you back to pre-Wells, somewhere in between, or is this you putting a line through this and we're right back on Rory? Yeah, somewhere in between. I mean, we saw at Wells Fargo how well he drove the golf ball, mostly relying on that cut, and he steps onto his first tee on Thursday morning at Kiowa Island and blasts this ball 65 yards offline into the water. But Rory McIlroy, like you mentioned, 52 for 52 inside six feet at Wells Fargo. Well, at Kiowa, he was 74th in strokes gained putting, so Rory's got to figure out the putter. For me, somewhere in between where he was pre-Wells Fargo and post-Wells Fargo, in terms of how he'll do, you know, at the next major championship, he's had some good finishes at Torrey Pines before, but I think he's more inclined to do better at the Open Championship in July. Adam, quickly, before we go to break, um, Xander Shoffley, mm. Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas, number one and two in the world, missed the cut. We've already spoken about DJ, but are you, are you more shocked at one of those? I had both of those guys, you know, 
certainly making the cut. I thought JT might have a good week. Xander always plays well in big championship. I mean, that is a bad outing for these two high-profile Americans. It certainly is, and especially Xander Shoffley. Eight top tens and 15 career major championships. Looked very sloppy. He's had a very average year thus far. And Justin Thomas, aside from his Players' Championship victory, this year has been just flat-out terrible for him thus far, you know, both on and off the golf course. There have been a lot of things going on for Justin Thomas. I like the way he battled back. He didn't give up on Friday afternoon, especially after that three-putt on 13 from, what, six or seven feet. Bounced back strong, nearly made the cut. Uh, Of those two, I I still think Justin Thomas is a better outlook for this year, but still a a puzzling performance from both those guys. You're right a little in the sense that JT's players is kind of like Rory's Wells Fargo. In a way, it's mm-hmm. it's the outlier. Uh, now, he's still number two in the world. Maybe that's the difference. I guess why we still had more an- expectations and anticipation for him. Bob, d- d- does one of those surprise you more than the other between those two? JT, I think I think I was expecting more. I thought that all the stuff that, that uh, Adam mentioned sort of off the course, I sort of thought he was beyond that now. And, and he probably is. Maybe this was just a bad week for him. But um, it was sort of a shock to see the results that he put put up on this golf course, which I think wasn't wasn't a badly suited golf course for his game. No, neither do I. I think uh, sh- uh, good, solid iron play in windy conditions usually. The, well, ask Tom Watson how much that helped yeah. him in his career, yeah, right. right? So, all right. On the other side, we'll do a three dub winners weird and what version for the PGA Championship. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by the Muskoka yeah, Bay Club and Resort. Live, stay, and play. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Cadillac. Springtime is a lot like a Cadillac, spirited, vibrant, and you definitely know when it arrives. Put a little spring in your drive with the Cadillac XT4, XT5, or XT6. Visit Cadillac.ca. Your Cadillac is waiting. Cadillac, never stop arriving. Welcome back to GTC's Aquino Week Scully. All right, it is that time. The good, the bad, the ugly. Winners, we're in what? Three dub, and this week, Adam, the tea is yours, sir. Yeah, well, I, I had the coffee. I got to activate the calves, and I got to step on one here. That's what I'm going to do today. Hit bombs and attack the pin. You know, gents, isn't it just appropriate? Phil Mickelson is my sting heading into Winners Weird and What. He hit some absolute bombs on Sunday, and now he's a major champion again. Awesome to see Phil Mickelson doing what he's doing. Speaking of players playing very well, my winner this week, Harry Higgs. First career major championship comes T4, and with that, qualifies for the Masters. And then on Twitter afterwards, I'm not sure if you guys saw Phil Mickelson last night, who on his private jet home, we safely presume, was enjoying a couple of beverages and responding to people on Twitter, including Harry Higgs, who asked if he wanted to play a practice round at Augusta National. And Phil said, why don't we play before? So awesome to see Harry Higgs, uh, Mark, one of the great fan favorites now on the PGA Tour. Well, you got to love the guy walking around popping the collar with the button down. He's got a, <laughs> he's, he's a beauty. I love it. It's great. And good for him to show up in a first major with a performance like that. Performance like that, bogey-free on Sunday as well. Harry Higgs, some awesome stuff. Looking forward to seeing him at Augusta National come next April. Okay, my weird this week. 
We've seen players lose their temper on the golf course multiple times. Happens all the time. But for Eric Van Ruyen, he was well inside the cut line on Friday afternoon. Three shots inside the cut line, in fact. But what does he do? On 14, he bogeys. On 15, he makes double. On 16, he makes bogey. And then on the challenging par 3, 17th, he hits it into the water. And from there, he lost his mind. Broke, broke a club. Broke the the tee marker as well. Nearly hit a couple volunteers. Bob, this was a temper tantrum like we haven't seen in quite some time. I don't know if you saw the end of that round where, uh, like, the swing where he the swing where he broke the club. He almost took out. Uh, who was he playing with? I can't remember who he's playing. Um, anyways, the caddy, one of the caddies. Yeah. <laughs> and and when they went to shake hands, he wouldn't. The caddy wouldn't shake hands with him really? at the Ooh. end of it. Yeah. That, is gave, that the worst the uh, temper tantrum you've seen? It's certainly one of them up there. They it's do. I, I, it, we, I did learn that they have replacement um, <laughs> tee markers though, which is interesting. Yeah, cer- certainly interesting, but yeah, that was a temper tantrum like we haven't seen. We also saw a Henrik Stenson club snap as well. It was just a wild week at Kiowa Island. And my what What a performance by Padraig Harrington. We spoke about this a little earlier. A 369 on Sunday to come T4. Also qualifies for the upcoming Masters. He's fourth in strokes gain around the green this week. Fourth in strokes gain total. And who could have saw this coming since the start of 2020? 21 worldwide starts, only two top tens. Eight missed cuts. Also played with Phil Mickelson in the first two rounds. Mark, this is a great performance. Hey, Ryder Cup captain. Here he goes. Another one for the old guys. I wish he'd retire the white belt if he's not wearing white pants or shorts. Mm. But uh, other than the uh, bad decision in the uh, closet, uh, well done, Podrick. Absolutely. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see Phil Mickelson playing in the Ryder Cup, uh, this upcoming Ryder Cup. Maybe we'll see Padraig Harrington as well. <laughs> Bit of a flyer there. Probably not. We'll see. With that, Bob, the tee is now yours, my friend. So, so what do I do? Just aim for the pond? No, you're not supposed to hit it into the water. But you hit it into the water. I know I hit it into the water. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! Look, it went further than your ball. Now, I'm going off script here because I know we were supposed to talk about PGA. We were thinking about PGA Championship, but I want my, made my winner everybody in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Everyone that, who's a that's golfer. Okay, and I just said, it's, you know, we, it came on the weekend when this miracle uh, finish happened for Phil Mickelson and everything. But, hey, congratulations to everybody who's playing golf in Ontario. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who reached out to the three of us and thanked us. I don't think we did a heck of a lot, but I would like to thank the We Are Golf guys, Mike Kelly, all those guys who, uh, the PGA and Lawrence Applebaum, I had a little exchange with text with him. With He got actually got a call from Doug Ford, the premier, to, I guess, tell him about the fact that they were going to open things up. And the other thing I think about this, the whole group of people is, that's interesting is a lot of the other associations, sports, tennis, uh, you know, pickleball, whatever you want to say, didn't have the manpower, didn't have the strength of numbers that golf has. So I think in many ways, golf not only opened up things for golf, but for a lot of outdoor activities in the in this province that we all got to enjoy and are still enjoying over this long weekend. Don't you agree, Mark? Yeah, I, I you know, I, you know, I did many hits as you probably did as yourself, Bob, with people reaching out and they said, uh, listen, this is great. I'm glad people are out to, uh, outside. I'm glad common sense won. I'm glad science won. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just one small step, right? That's why, you know, so I'm trying not, you know, you don't want to celebrate too much and stuff like this because, you know, we're still yeah. on a global scale. That's right. And there's still a lot of things we can't do. Right. There's still a lot of things we can't do. There, and I feel, I still hurt, uh, you know, I'm a business guy, right? Sure. 
Uh, I, I own and operate a small business, and I look at other small businesses out there, and my heart still breaks for them, wondering they're still for months going to be in a position that the entire golf industry has been in for the last two months. However, you got to play on the weekend. Yes. Golly got to play on so the well weekend. Well done, everybody. I'm going to play yeah. my opening round today, so good. Enjoy it. Uh, my weird this week is a tee shot that uh, Sebastian Munoz hit. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this one. It was absolutely brilliant. You know what it was? It was garbage, Bob. It was a garbage shot. It definitely was a garbage <laughs> shot. And he, off the tee, I mean, I've never ceases to amaze me how these guys can find the most ridiculous places for golf balls to end up. So we did this, uh, we did this on the weekend on Sports Center, and we were talking about it. But Munoz hits his ball, lands in the garbage bag. He reaches in with just two fingers, pulls it out, and hands it to some woman. Poor woman. <laughs> Here you go. In the garbage. For he you. didn't want to hit it. We were talking at him about the the craziest places I've seen golf balls end up. Uh, Rory McIlroy hit it in a guy's pocket one time. I remember that. Um, Brooks Kepka hit it into a guy's shoe. This volunteer had a shoe, a pair of shoes on the back of his cart, and it ended up in the shoe. And then I found this one with uh, Nicholas Colsarts in the European Tour hit one, and it ended up in a public washroom that was on the golf course. He actually lit, this is crazy, he had to take a drop beside the ball, ended up beside the, the toilet, and he oh. actually had to take a drop <laughs> before he could, and then declare it an unplayable afterwards. And I guess you could say he got relief. <laughs> I was just about to say that's a well crappy done. break. But, that's you right. know. No, no. And then my what is, uh, you know, one of the things that happened at the PGA Championship for the first time was the rangefinders. And yes. yeah. there was a lot more sightings of those rangefinders than I thought. In fact, I may have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure, and Adam, you can, you can let me know what you think, that I saw Phil and Tim Mickelson yes. both yep. with their own rangefinders. Yes. They both had, they had dual, and they, they were used a lot more. I don't know, what it, were you surprised by that, Adam? Yeah, you know what, it was funny. The, the first two rounds, you only saw it on the on the on the telecast a couple of times but once the wind changed on the weekend you saw it a lot more especially Phil and Tim Mickelson on that 18th hole trying to find bunker carries because the wind had totally flipped from what it was the first two days it, it, it was still kind of strange to see them with range finders on on a PGA championship final round uh, I'm curious what happens here going forward but yeah it was it was interesting for the, sure. the, the, the bottom line for me is the rounds weren't any faster, and they weren't any slower, yeah. so I don't think it matters. I think it's great. If you want to use them, go ahead. This, this, if this test is any indication, Mark, I think that uh, it works well. I'm with you a thousand percent, Bob. I didn't notice a thing, uh, good or bad, uh, and I think there might be those rare occasions where someone gets really off the beaten path and might shave a couple minutes here or there. All right, Mark, the tea is now yours. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, now, keep this in mind, gentlemen, that this is coming from a guy who played 18 holes of golf last year with six putter grips in one oh, round. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay? So when I saw this go down yesterday on the 17th green, I got a warm, fuzzy spot in my heart. Phil Mickelson. At a moment in, in the final round yesterday, after a very clear, calm, concise decision behind the 17th green, which we broke down in hour one, about how when you're under pressure, you got to think clear. And there was pressure. And he hit that great second out of the hang and left himself in, in a nice, safe spot on the green. I don't know if you saw his par putt, but that ball caught air. That thing got about eight inches in the air. And I don't know if it was a combination of a bad stroke hit an imperfection on, on the putting green. I think it was a combination of a few things. And he had about two, two and a half feet coming back for par. And he's been putting conventional the entire week. And we haven't seen Phil 
putt conventional for an entire tournament in ages with pencils and claws and combinations of grips. And this was the Phil Mickelson uh, grip of the past. Conventional grip with that little forward press. Maybe not as forward as it used to be. Maybe the hand's a little higher than they used to be to get that putter head a little flatter instead of that heel up. But it was a conventional grip, a much closer look than what we've seen several years. And we got to that little par putt on 17. And I don't know if you saw that left hand come over the top into that claw position. I guess, Bob, he was feeling it. I guess the nerves were there. And out of the blue, he decides to go claw grip on the 71st hole to knock in that part. But what did you think? I actually wondered if he even knew he was doing it. Like he mm-hmm. knew if he had yeah. changed. He just kind of went, went to it, right? It just, just happened. Yeah. I wonder. And no one asked him, Adam, in the post round about it. No. And I was like, man, I wish I was in the press room because I would I would have wanted to know. And I'm wondering <laughs> if Bob has hit this on the head. I'm wondering, do you think he even knew he did it, yeah. Adam? I wonder if it was just instinct. The 71st hole, there's so many thoughts in his mind, probably very nervous. Maybe it was just instinct. And it just happened. He said, okay, let's try it. Unbelievable when you think about that. Okay, my weird this week is what happened to Phil Mickelson's driving? Okay, listen. He wasn't, uh, he didn't turn into Mike Reed, okay? <laughs> All right, he wasn't Radar Mickelson. I don't think Adam knows who Mike Reed is. Okay, you got to Google, you gotta Google yeah. Reed. <laughs> okay. Ra- they used to call him Radar, Radar. Adam. Right. Radar. I'll, I'll do that right Calvin now. Pete. Yeah, he wasn't Calvin Pete uh, leading the tour at 83% driving accuracy with a persimmon and balata, Adam. But down the stretch, on holes where he made disastrous swings on Saturday, 13 coming to mind. His driver was remarkably reliable, shaping the golf ball both ways when he needed to, finding fairways when he needed to. And when you look at his driving numbers at the end of the week, Bob, he outdrove uh, Kepka, he outdrove Rom, he outdrove huge names in the game that we all collectively suggest are the best overall drivers of the golf ball in the game when you when you take distance and accuracy and kind of put them together and there was Phil Mickelson all of a sudden finding this thing and listen I could have made it my winner but I chose to make it my weird because where did that I guess you could ask this about his entire game but if there was one aspect of his game that you thought was not going to be there down the stretch I mean, he he was calling on ball flight with his driver down the stretch. It was it was disappointing for me because, <laughs> because it's not the fill that you normally see in love, right? We normally like to see him in adventurous spots and having to find his way out. But yeah, it was boring, but it was great. It was unbelievable to watch. Uh, just shocking, shockingly brilliant. Okay, and my what? And Adam, you referenced this earlier in the show, mm-hmm. and what a scene. What a scene on 18. And, and it, it reminded me a little bit of Tiger at Eastlake. But it reminded me more so of Palmer in like the 60s. Yep. And the black and white of fighting your way through a crowd. And the timing of this, will, I think in our minds, will be mean more when we look back on this 10, 20, 30 years from now, very much so the way we look back very romantically on Palmer in black and white at open championships and things like that. And I think the timing of this with COVID mm-hmm. will make this feel more in the bigger and more important in the future, Bob, because not only the outpouring of emotion and love, because Phil's always been the people's champion. We, you know, we always kind of looked at Tiger and Jack in the same way. You know, these silent assass- assassins that were better than any other player in the world between the years. 
Like they had you beat almost before the match started because they were so strong mentally and emotionally. They were robotic at times. And, and Jack could outthink an entire field as well. But Mickelson was Palmer. He was this generation's Palmer. He was the people's champion. He was engaging. He was smiling. It's the thumbs up. And we've seen it more so as Adam has outlaid in, in, in the last couple of years on social media and what he's like compared to Tiger on social media. Tiger's still very scripted and there's still like, a you know, once in a while we get a window into Tiger now, but not like Phil. You know, and if and if Arnold Palmer was around in social media like it is today, I think we'd get a lot of what we get from Phil because Arnold Palmer was so engaging. And I watched that yesterday, guys, on 18. And with what we've seen with COVID and not being allowed to be with people and not being allowed to be with crowds, and we've seen the world start to open up and to see Phil come through that scene of people, Bob, I mean... I got really choked up. I, I, I tweeted on Twitter, is it normal to watch golf by yourself as an adult <laughs> and be bawling like a baby mm-hmm. in a backyard? It really hit me, Bob. And I thought it was I thought it was a beautiful... I know some people... I know Heather was... Oh, there goes my earpiece again. <laughs> Heather, Heather was very much... You know, and a lot of people are, like, upset about the crowd control and security, and I understand that. So Mrs. Golf Talk Canada was a little upset about that, and I can understand that part of the puzzle for sure or that concern, and, and, and Kepka said that. But to me, I thought it was a beautiful scene. I, it got me emotionally, and it really touched me, and I thought, wow, that, that, that is something very special that you do not see, not only in a decade, that's a generational scene. Yeah, and it's organic. It didn't. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. It just kind of got out of control a little bit. But it goes back to what you were saying before: is you know, generally, I would say that fans are in awe of Tiger, but they love Phil. I think that's what I would say generally about about how that works. And so that was that was all organic. That happened naturally, and uh, it's it's a really cool scene. Yeah. Okay, guys. On the other side, I'm going to put you guys in the hot seat. I want to know how much has this elevated Phil's status? Historically, and where is he now? I'm gonna. I want you to give me a, a window. Is he eight to ten? Ten to twelve? Twelve to fifteen? Best of all time, and why? We're gonna do that when we wrap up the show on the other side. This is Golf Talk Canada. This segment of GTC, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management, was brought to you by Cadillac. Springtime is a lot like a Cadillac, spirited, vibrant, and you definitely know when it arrives. Put a little spring in your drive with the Cadillac XT4, XT5, or XT6. Visit Cadillac.ca. Your Cadillac is waiting. Cadillac, never stop arriving. This is Golf Talk Canada, presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management. This segment of GTC is brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new ZG21. Lightweight with zero compromise. Welcome back to Golf Talk Canada as we wrap it up here on TSN 2, TSN 1050, iHeartRadio. Leafs lunch coming up next. Andy Petrillo, the Leafs heading into Montreal now for back-to-back after a big one. 5-1 on Saturday night. Finally... How about that other game last night, the uh, Winnipeg-Edmonton game? Yeah. yeah, there's some quality hockey out there happening in the, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. We're in, uh, Adam called the Leafs losing game one on home ice, by the way. He called that. I did. I, 
You did. I did. You Amazing. did. All right, guys. Uh, leaderboard <laughs> updates brought to you by Bushnell Golf, the number one range finder in all the golf. Hit bushnellgolf.com for your range finding needs, including the all new wingman. And Wailung Su wins on the LPGA Tour, the Pure Self Championship. Good for a two shot lead over Moria Jatanagarn. Uh, Bob, Brooke Henderson was her fourth top 10. Of, of the, the season already. She finishes T10 with a closing 67. And Elena Sharp with a good outing in this one as well. T31. She finishes one under par. There is a senior major coming up this week. The Senior PGA Championship. Phil not in the field. He'll play. The... go for the double. I thought it was an obvious layup. Man. So he's playing the Charles Schwab this he week. He is. Which I was surprised to hear. I will be working the Charles Schwab for PGA Tour oh. Radio this week. Uh, usually a pretty good hometown feel to that one. The Texans tend to do well in that. Yes. Spieth, Ryan Palmer, etc. We'll do our edge picks this week for mm-hmm. TSN TV. I wonder how hard the three of us lean on uh, Texas players this week at Colonial. Different kind of golf course, too, at Colonial, guys. It's Shotmaker's Golf Course, but not a bomber's paradise. It's a short by modern-day standards. You guys remember uh, Annika Sorenstam. Uh, having uh, right. a start at Colonial, and, and for that particular reason, picking her spot on where she might be able to compete. God, she came close to making that cut that week, too. All right, guys, Phil Mickelson, eighth now, all-time PGA wins list. Twelfth now, all-time major list. Oldest player, Adam, to ever win a career major. Six, and dare I say counting? Six mm. and counting, Adam? Ooh. Where is he for you, all-time list players? All-time list. Well, I, I mean, before this week, I would say he was hovering in the 12 to 15 at tops, I would say. But now right. you, you've got to think he's in the top 10 now because looking back years from now, this will be one of the great moments in golf history. A player nearly 51 years old winning a major championship, becoming the oldest ever major champion. This is going to be compared, to me anyway, to when Tom Watson almost won the 2009 Open Championship. One bad bounce away from breaking the internet, you know, one of the greatest sports uh, accomplishments ever. But for me, Mickelson's in that sort of 8 to 10 range now. Yeah, I had him uh, previous to this. I had him somewhere between 12 to 15. Uh, as you mentioned, in a log jam as well with you know some other great players, etc. For me now, if I had to really, if you gave me pen and, and paper and told me to write him down, he'd be 10 on the button right now for me. 10 on the, and I've been looking at this a lot, Bob, in the last 24 hours, and he is 10 right on the button for me, and you're probably going to ask, well, who came out, right? <laughs> and I, I'll put Harry Varden at 11th. Uh, and, and the only reason I moved them past Varden, and it's hard because we're apples to oranges, right. in, is that, and this is not a knock against Varden because he didn't have a choice, but a lot of Varden's success comes in one event. And that's what made me put Phil at 10 and Varden at 11. Bob, where is this for you? I don't know. I would have given, given Varden the, uh, the advantage there just because of the grip. I will say say I'm I'm the same as Adam and you. I think, you know, 9, 10, somewhere in there. I think the one thing that we have to look at with this and when it's all done is the longevity of Phil. Mm -hmm. 30 years since he won his first tournament. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Graham Dillette was talking about that, how just to be able to play the PGA Tour for 30 years, let alone win at either end of those years, that's pretty remarkable. It's absolutely incredible. And again, is it six and counting? You know what? If you look at the number, you say, guys, you're nuts if it's six and counting. But if you look at his, how, how healthy he is and the distance he's still hitting the golf ball, who knows? 
Uh, you know what? Maybe we got to start looking at Phil like we, like we look at, at Tiger, guys. S- never underestimate him and stop trying to predict him mm-hmm. because he <laughs> yeah, keeps exactly. making us look like a fool. Bob, great to see you in person. Adam, yeah. great to see you. Uh, we're back this week for TV. 20 Weeks of TaylorMade continues. Thank you, everyone who was listening. Thank you, everyone who was watching. Leafs Lunch coming up next. Remember, first good decision on the golf course, it always starts in the closet. This segment of GTC presented by Picton Mahoney Asset Management was brought to you by Adidas Golf and the all-new ZG21. Lightweight with zero compromise. Thank you for listening to GTC. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Talk Canada. For show archives, podcasts, and all things GTC, visit GolfTalkCanada.com. And don't miss Golf Talk Canada Television, weekly on the TSN Television Network.